big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hi, everyone. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're putting this little intro to our episode this week to address the coronavirus, which is now making its way across the world in a really scary fashion. Things are really scary right now. We're holed up in New York. We are all in our own apartments. We're cut off from each other. But we wanted to take this time to acknowledge that we can still be coming together, especially through audio mediums during this time. Yeah, as of right now, Molly and I have no plans to stop recording. We can both record remotely from our apartments. So we plan to continue on a regular schedule, giving you guys the content that we have been providing so far. That good, good Jane Austen content. I also just wanted to say that when times are harsh, I think it's a really good time to revisit the classics because they do tend to give comfort in these times. I know that I myself have turned to Jane Austen and other classics when I'm feeling blue in my life. And this is a collective, scary, sad time for everyone. So I hope that our little podcast about Jane Austen makes you guys feel a bit better. I have a stack of books in my suitcase that I'm bringing home. I'm planning on just reading and reading. And I know that because you're all listening to us, you must love Jane Austen. So Similar book nerds. And the last thing I'll say is please stay safe. Social distancing really helps. And wash your hands, avoid going out when you can, even if you're young and have a really low chance of getting the virus seriously. It's really important that we stop the spread of it for people who are more susceptible to the disease. But it's all going to be okay, guys. We just wanted to say stay safe out there and stay proper. We'd also like to take a moment to thank our newest patrons, Isaac, Paige, and Eric. If you want to be like these awesome people and support our podcast, head over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice to see how you can support us. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's episode. Graham, the title of this episode is the what the fuck Lydia chapters. I would like to add a caveat to that in the study questions, so I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but I think we might have a different title to it by the end of the episode, but that's, that's for a different part of the pod. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Oh, a British this episode. Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Catherine de Bourgh. All right, let's see. Hi, I'm Becca. And I'm Molly. Welcome to Pod and Prejudice. A podcast where we read Jane Austen and talk about it to you. Specifically some Pride and Prejudice. Specifically chapters 14 through 16 of Volume the Second. And we are nearing the end of Volume the Second, so next week we're going to finish... Volume the second. And get to volume the third. The third. The final. The final. The The final. final. (laughs) The electric boogaloo of the... (laughs) No. The final saga of the Pride and Prejudice book. Isn't that wild? Dun, dun, dun. You've almost read a whole Jane Austen book. I thought you were going to say you've almost read a whole book. (laughs) 
My very first. Your very first book. So today we're going to read chapters 14 through 16, and I began, maybe I began this episode, we'll see what happens in the final cut, with saying that these chapters are the Oh for the Love of God Lydia chapters. Also known as the God Damn It Lydia. Or like, What the Fuck Lydia. Or Dear God, Oh My Lydia. Yeah, basically all my notes are just, What Lydia? In all caps. And that's mostly in the last chapter, so we'll get to it, but... Yeah, so uh, where we left off last time was actually one of the really important moments of this book. Oh God, was it? Yes. <laughs> last time we discussed the letter that Darcy gives to Lizzie after the proposal get-in, and then we see Lizzie have a nice little Twilight Zone existential crisis. Mm-hmm. In real time of her reading the letter and responding to it. Yeah. And then she cries. Does she cry? It was after the proposal that she cried. But she didn't cry after the letter. She's kind of introspective about it. Until this moment, I never knew myself. Oh, yeah. Yes, Lizzie. What does that even mean? So many things. It means that she was not in tune with the world and she was so stuck in her own views that she failed to see things clearly. Yeah. So that's where we are with Lizzie. Yeah, and I guess we can just get into what happens next. Which what happens? Is basically the boys leave. The boys leave and everyone is suddenly sad and bored. <laughs> well, do you remember the first couple chapters at Hunsford? It was like... Pretty boring. Pretty boring. Yeah, and Lady Catherine is really bored, and she says that she needs them to come over more to fill, yeah. the, fill the void. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't interact with a lot of her family members all the time, other than Anne, who's apparently too sick to be interesting. Poor Anne. Poor Anne. And she interacts with a lot of people of the lower classes, so she loves when her little nephews are there because... They're of the high class, and yeah. she's particularly proud of her super tall, handsome son, Fitzwilliam Darcy. Well, nephew Fitzwilliam Darcy. Yeah. I just got really confused because they're both named Fitzwilliam yet again. So I, d- I didn't know who you were talking about for a second. Well, Fitzy's awesome. We love Fitzy, but he's not the handsome one. Yeah, nor is he the richer one. So Darcy is hot. Darcy is hot. So they go to Rosings for dinner, and I loved this. Lizzie can't help but think the whole time about how, had she chosen it at this point, she would have been Lady Catherine's niece, or, like, Mm niece-to-be. And in her head, she's like, "Uh, how would Lady Catherine have responded? Ooh. And how would she have responded? How would she have responded? Well, that's a question I'm asking you. Oh, I see. Um, I feel like she would have been a little disappointed because Lizzie has proven to be the person who, like, talks back to her and, like, doesn't really give a shit what she thinks. And she would have been like, hmm, Lizzie's not good enough for my family. That's what I think. That is also all very smart and astute. I also think that you have forgotten the added element of her plans. <gasps> You forgot about Baby DeBerg? I forgot about Baby DeBerg! Anne! The chemistry is just so palpable between Baby DeBerg and Darcy. Yeah, I really forgot about that. So I think for many a reason, Lady Catherine would have been upset about that match. A little peeved, a little upset. Upset. So she talks while they're there about how sad she is the boys are gone, specifically Darcy, and she feels like Darcy is also especially sad to be leaving, which she might not know why. Well, she thinks he's just really sad to leave his old, doting aunt. Yeah. That's the only reason he's upset. Couldn't be a hot girl. Couldn't be proposal get-in. Yeah, proposal get-in 
didn't go great for him. So <laughs> after dinner, she also notes that Lizzie seems to be sad and she thinks probably to be leaving so soon. So she should probably just stay longer. And Lizzie's like, oh, no, I have to be back on Saturday. Do we know why she has to be back on Saturday? I presume she doesn't actually. Oh, but I see. That makes sense. That <laughs> she just really wants to get out of there at this point. That's fair. And Lady Catherine is shocked then. She's like, that would only be six weeks. I thought you were staying for at least two months. Mrs. Bennet could certainly spare you for two more weeks. And Lizzie says, oh, maybe Mrs. Bennet can, but my father could never. Aww. Which is cute. He sent her a letter saying that he wants her to come home. Which is simultaneously so cute and so savage because he misses Lizzie, but that also means that his wife and other daughters are driving him crazy. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And Lady Catherine's response to this is that if her mother can spare her, her father can. Daughters are never of so much consequence to a father. She, like, really doesn't get their relationship, and I think it's a very uncommon relationship between Lizzie and Mr. Bennett. I think so, too, and I think Jane Austen had a pretty close relationship to her father. Yeah, as we learned on Fun Facts for the Pod Squad, if you subscribe to our Patreon for $7 and up, you get a bonus episode once a month. Excellent stellar little plug for the Patreon. Thank you very much. Jane Austen was close to her father, and I think you can see the authenticity of the relationship between Daddy Bennett and Lizzie comes from Jane Austen's own experience a little bit. For sure. Then she offers that Lizzie could stay another month. Lizzie and Maria, who I keep forgetting about. Honestly, me too. Like, I struggled so hard to remember if Maria even existed in this part of the book. Mm -hmm. Because I remember back in, like, an earlier episode, I was like, yeah... Maria, she she goes back with Sir William Lucas, right? But no, she stays there. She just does. Yeah, she's still there, and then they keep uh, like referring to the three of or the two of them. And I'm like, who's the two? And you're like Maria. And even Catherine de Bourgh does because she's like, I could bring you back in my cart or my what's it called? Um, barouche. Barouche box. When I go back in June, if you stay an extra month, and she says I could even bring both of you back. And I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> so. Lizzie's like, no, no, really, we have to go. And so Lady Catherine de Bourgh is like, okay, Charlotte, send a servant with them. It would be really improper for two young women to travel by post, which means they're going in the carriage that brings the mail alone. And her quote on this is, young women should always be properly guarded and attended according to their situation in life. When my niece Georgiana went to Ramsgate last summer, I made a point of having two men servants go with her. How'd that work out, Lady Catherine de Bourgh? <laughs> it didn't work out great, let me tell you. Well, I don't think Catherine de Bourgh knows about Wickham because we're all about protecting the Georgie rep here. Right, right. She doesn't know. Oh, yes. But she thinks it all went swimmingly. Not so much. Not so. And Lizzie tells her that her uncle is sending them a servant, and Lady Catherine is very pleased by this, and she starts asking them questions and then answering said questions like, where will you change horses? Bromley, of course. Mention my name at the bell, blah, 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 blah. And Lizzie is glad... I want to read this quote. Lady Catherine had many other questions to ask respecting their journey, and as she did not answer them all herself, attention was necessary, which Elizabeth believed to be lucky for her, or with a mind so occupied she might have forgotten where she was. Meaning that she couldn't think about the fact that she was with Darcy's aunt, and she wants to save her reflections for a solitary time. That is so relatable. She's been, like, trying to distract herself while she's at 
Lady Catherine's house. And so she's glad that Lady Catherine's not answering all of her own questions so that Lizzie has to say something or else she would just sit there ruminating. And she doesn't want to ruminate while she's there. She wants to wait till she gets home and puts on Adele. Exactly. And then gets, like, a glass of white wine, cookie dough ice cream. Takes her letter back out, rereads it. Oh, my God. She she's obsessed. Is obsessed. She has this letter memorized by now. She knows it by heart. So she's reading it and reading it. And sometimes she's still angry at him for the manner in which he proposed, which we all know was bad. But, extremely bad. <laughs> yeah, extremely bad. But sometimes she is full of compassion for him because she feels so bad about how she misused him and misunderstood him. And Yeah, I think Lizzie's really doing a great job in this moment, growing towards the nuance of the situation because Lizzie's flawed. Darcy is also flawed. Mistakes were made on both sides. Yeah, and she's starting to realize that. Yeah. So she's she's embarrassed by her own conduct, but she also acknowledges that his conduct was not perfect in the moment. Right. So her her thoughts on this in real time are, his attachment excited gratitude, his general character respect, but she could not approve him, nor could she for a moment repent her refusal or feel the slightest inclination ever to see him again. Are you telling the truth to yourself? I can't tell. Well, I like that now you don't trust Lizzie anymore. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> trust her one bit. So she's thinking about this, the section on her family, and she's agreeing with everything Darcy said, and in particular, she's thinking about Kitty and Lydia. Kitty. Uh -huh. Kitty. She thinks about the fact that they're father is too content with just like laughing at them to ever restrain them or put a foot down and she says that she and Jane are usually like trying to keep Kitty in check she refers to Kitty as Catherine and I just cracked up because I forgot that Kitty like had a full name or that she was different yeah it's one of those moments where you're like Catherine who's Who the Catherine? Fuck is Catherine but it's Kitty and they take after their mother so there's like really no stopping them we describe Kitty as weak spirited and as someone who follows Lydia's lead Lydia is self-willed and careless but even after all of that, she's still the most upset about the fact that Bingley really did love Jane. She even says her evaluation of Bingley is, like, restored. Yeah, she still thinks that Bingley is a good guy. Well, at the end of the day, the only reason Bingley didn't propose, really, according to Darcy is that Bingley thought that Jane didn't love him. Right. So Like, he would have done it anyway. He would have done it anyway. And this is what Lizzie ends on the fact that her family is what has kept Jane from happiness, but it's also Darcy's dumbness. No, it's very much still Darcy. She's right that her family's decorum, or lack thereof, is what caused Darcy to push so hard on this. But at the end of the day, this was Darcy's choice. He's so silly. Ugh, human disaster. Fitzwilliam Darcy. Yeah, we should get t-shirts and say that. She's also, of course, upset about Wickham, but she doesn't even dwell on that very long. Yeah, the, the Wickham thing is just so 180 for both the reader and Lizzie. Yeah, it's like suddenly we just hate him. Yes. So suddenly Wickham is no longer in the conversation. No. They spend their last night there at Rosings, and Lady Catherine is sure to tell them exactly how they should pack their suitcases. This was a hilarious tidbit. One of the funnier little anecdotes. Yeah, and Maria is like, oh, oh no. And she started, she's like planning to go back and unpack her whole suitcase and repack it, even though she's already packed. Poor Maria. Can you imagine taking anybody's advice that seriously? No! Please don't ever. Listeners, if anybody is ever telling you how to pack a suitcase that's already packed, just go. Just leave. No one's going to care if your shirt gets wrinkled. Yeah. And then they leave Rosings that night, and even Baby DeBerg comes and shakes their hand. That was the first time Baby DeBerg actually has done anything in the book. Yeah. And it's pointed to as, look, she stood 
and shook a hand. She gave all that trouble. Oh, it must have been hard for her. She's sick. I'm sorry, that sounds terrible, no, but no, it's but true. It's, that's how they describe her. It's really, it's one of those things that's hard to tell if she's weak to a point where she can't do anything, or she's weak and boring. Right. And this indicates that she's just weak to the point of not being able to do anything. Well, shaking a hand doesn't really make you not boring. Yeah, I mean, she's also boring. Only in public. Yeah. Only in public, not when I she's like, listening to heavy metal in her room. I know, I like our little side story for Baby DeBerg. This is the conceal, don't feel version of Baby DeBerg. Conceal, don't feel. Chapter 15, 15 is the next day. Lizzie and Mr. Collins are the first ones at breakfast, and I honestly don't know why Jane Austen is spending so much time on these paragraphs. He just thanks her for coming for a page and a half. Well, I mean, that's part of Mr. Collins's personality. I know, but we get it at this point. Yeah, we do. And some of it's for humorous effect. But I do think we can mine these paragraphs for some other meaning. First of all, you see that Collins clearly bears no more ill will towards Lizzie. Yes. You almost start to root for Mr. Collins when he has that one paragraph where he's like, For a young lady such as yourself, I know our modest life might be boring to you, but we hoped that you had like the best day ever. And that was sweet. And you're like, oh, Collins. And then he goes on with his Catherine de Bourgh and his Charlotte, and then it gets a little awkward, and Lizzie's just sitting there gritting her teeth. Yeah, it's especially a little awkward when he gets to the point where he's like, I trust it does not appear that your friend has drawn an unfortunate... <clears throat> but on this point, it would be as well to be silent. <laughs> the first time he's ever been silent on anything. Basically, he, he doesn't want Lizzie to think that Charlotte married down, which he knows that she thinks because... Yeah, it's kind of unavoidable that Charlotte did marry down. And it is a rare moment of self-awareness that Collins is recognizing that. Mm -hmm. And it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. But it also tells you that Collins, in his own right, kind of feels love for Charlotte. He does. He says that he thinks they were made for each other in this section. And I want to go back to the proposals for just a second. Remember when Lizzie got the proposal and he was like, it's proper. And then with Charlotte, he fell to his knees. He did. He begged her. And there is a little bit of a heartbreak here because it actually kind of looks like for Collins, this is the ideal marriage. And for Charlotte, it is a convenient yeah. Way to win a salary. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's sweet, but I still... Well, I, I side... I don't side with anyone. This isn't a siding situation. But Lizzie is, like, trying to be nice and going with it. And then he says that he and Charlotte are wishing her the most happiness in her own marriage should it come anytime soon. And when he says that they're designed for each other, she says, Elizabeth could safely say that it was a great happiness where that was the case, and with equal sincerity could add that she firmly believed and rejoiced in his domestic comforts. She was not sorry, however, to have the recital of them interrupted by the entrance of the lady from whom they sprang. Poor Charlotte. Yikes. Lizzie's completely correct in her evaluation, and she's put in a very awkward position, and she does a great job with it. Yeah, and so when Charlotte comes back, Lizzie is, like, thinking about how she doesn't want to leave her in this situation, but she knows that Charlotte chose it with her eyes open and that she's happy with it. And then she talks about how her home and her housekeeping, her parish and her poultry had not yet lost their charms. Chickens come up a lot in this chapter. They're all really excited that Charlotte has chickens. Chickens, I mean, is that like a sign of wealth or? Yeah, it's mostly like it's a convenience for food. You don't have to go to the market to get eggs. But I guess it's part of a wifely duty to tend to the farm, like the chickens and you have like a cow or something. So Collins is out there gardening and Charlotte's out there tending to the chickens. chickens. and. 
Then they come back at the end of the day, and Charlotte desperately avoids having sex with him. Yep. She smells like chickens. He doesn't want that anyway, you know? Oh, he clearly wants that. I know, but she's like, oh no, I smell like chickens. Don't touch yeah, me. Like, I, I just spent all day with the chickens. I couldn't possibly, dear. So, finally, their chaise comes, meaning, I guess, their carriage, right? Mm-hmm. And Colin says goodbye again, and wishes well to the whole family, including the gardeners, whom he has never met, and he closes the door, and then he opens the door again, and he reminds them that they haven't left their well wishes for the DeBergs. Quote, but you will, of course, wish to have your humble respects delivered to them with your grateful thanks for their kindness to you while you have been here. And Lizzie says, sure, and then they leave. Basically, Collins needs everyone to be the way that he is. And everyone is like, sure, Collins, sure. I mean, if you're not worshipping Catherine de Bourgh in Collins's presence, then mm-hmm. he just assumes you're being silent and shy about it. Right, of course, everyone loves Catherine de Bourgh. So a little goodbye to the Collinses for now. Good riddance. <laughs> oh, except Charlotte. We love you, Charlotte. We love Charlotte. So then Maria, upon the closing of the door, says, good gracious. And I also said, good gracious. And then I realized she wasn't talking about Collins being the worst. Nope. She marvels at how much has happened since they've arrived and how much she'll have to tell. And Lizzie privately thinks, and how much I shall have to conceal, which is where I said, oof. 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 That is a lot of Oof. Also, I mean, it's a little juicy. Come on. You love it when you went to a party and you got the dish and your friend didn't and you're like, oh my god, I have to keep this a secret now. Yeah. You're like special. We love to see it. We love to see it. Then they get back to the gardener's house where they're going to stay with Jane for a few days and then go back with her. And Lizzie is like holding her tongue about everything that's happened, even though she really wants to tell her about Wickham and Darcy and all of that, but she doesn't want to reveal anything about Bingley because she doesn't want to make it worse for Jane to know that he actually did love her. And yeah. It's even more heartbreaking. Yeah, she wants to let her know, like, because you can do the whole thing just being like, I rejected him because of Wickham, mm-hmm. not because of his involvement in the destruction of your happiness. How would Jane respond to that? I think we might get to this somewhere in the next chapter, Maybe we don't, but it just really, it's so much the worst because knowing that you've had your happiness ripped away from you for no need or like no reason is so sad. So I actually think, I don't know if I agree. I mean, I'm thinking about it now. When you've been through something with somebody, Mm -hmm. there is a tendency at the end to question whether or not you made the whole thing up in your head. And I see value personally and getting confirmation that you didn't, even if it's tragic. Yeah, I think it, it would be a comfort to her. And simultaneously, it would make it sad. You know, like getting that confirmation and being like, oh my god, it could still work out. But the question is, if we go on the assumption that it's over between Jingli, if that's off the table entirely, would you want to just move on and have no answers and not know what no, happened? Because or would you want to know, at the end of the day, it happened for a really stupid reason, but what you had together was real? No, because I think that would give me too much hope that it's not off the table. Okay. Like, okay. I think that would send Jane back into a spiral of, like, maybe we can get back together. And honestly, me knowing this now, why can't they get back together? I think they still can. I don't want Jane to get her hopes up if Darcy's going to... Darcy wouldn't prevent it at this point, but if someone is going to prevent this from happening, be it her family, money, whatever, I don't want her to have that false hope because he loves her. So it's just so sad, and I think that Lizzie can't tell her. All right, fair enough. Yeah. So 
Let's move on to chapter 16. This is the bonkers chapter. This is like the manifesto of Lydia. This is Lydia's chapter. Now, this is an interesting chapter for a lot of reasons, and we'll get to this in the study questions, but we haven't really gotten to know the younger Bennets until this chapter. Yeah, we we just know them as Kitia and Mary. And Mary has a rich rich love of dead bugs and heavy metal and lesbian poetry that we know. We know. Canon-wise. Maybe Jane Austen didn't know. Yeah, she didn't know that. Or she felt she couldn't reveal it to the public. Right. But... We're revealing it now. We're revealing it now. We we know the truth about Mary. Yeah. There's something about Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Becca just fell over. Sorry, I'm just laughing too hard at my own jokes. Let's (laughs) get into chapter 16. Yeah, so now we're in the second week of May, and Lizzie and Jane... And Maria, we must not forget. A star and icon, Maria Lucas. They arrive at an inn somewhere along the way where they're to meet the carriage sent by Mr. Bennett and see Kitia looking out the window at them. And I was making a prediction here that Lizzie is going to start seeing these two differently. And I think that we as the audience or the readers get to see them a little differently at this point as well, because it's described as they have like spent the whole day looking at the guard and talking to a milliner. What's a milliner? Uh, let me Google it. It might be a, like a miller, but oh, that how do you spell it? Milliner? Milliner. Uh, I am hat maker. Hat maker. Oh, right. They went to the hat maker. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, we know they did. And so Lizzie and and the girls arrive and are greeted by those two. And they're like, look at this antipasto spread we've laid out for you. It's all cold cuts and stuff. And like, it's fancy. Yeah, yeah. I I would have thought more like a charcuterie. Oh, probably a charcuterie. I couldn't remember. An antipasto is a little Italian for Britain. I'm vegan, so I can't, (laughs) I couldn't remember the name. What's on a vegan charcuterie? Um, Is it just like a pile of seitan and some cashew ricotta? Yeah, so there's a bunch of cashew ricotta, (laughs) some like sliced. There's a lot of different kinds of vegan cheese out there now. On a really side note. I had a vegetarian Nashville hot chicken sandwich the other day. Mmm. So we're hungry as yeah. we're recording this. Um, but yeah, that's why this charcuterie is what it is. And it's fancy as fuck. And Lydia and Kitty are like, we are treating you to this, but you have to pay for it because we spent all our money on this bonnet that they got from the milliner. And Lydia shows them the bonnet and it's ugly. And Lydia's like, I didn't really like it that much, but I thought, why not spend all my money on it? Because I could probably doctor it up and like, I'm going to tear it apart and make it better when we get home. And everyone's just kind of like, okay, okay Lydia. That's yeah. Ugly. Yeah. It's, it's not an ideal purchase. I do have respect because I, I also go to thrift stores and I'm like, oh my God, I will wear that. And then sure, I Sure, sure, sure. But this was not a thrift store. She spent all her money on <laughs> That's this hat. True. That's true. And I was like, that's so wasteful. And I think that bringing that to light first is Jane Austen's way of being like, here's a flaw in the Bennett sisters that you might not have noticed before. Yeah. They're aggravating us now more where we were daddy Benneting them before. Mm-hmm. We were like, oh, ha ha ha, those girls. But like, now we're like, you're wasting money. Yes. And then you're trying to treat your sisters and asking them to pay for it. Weird. Such a first date fuckboy move. Such a first date fuckboy move. But then Lydia says, it doesn't really matter what we wear this summer anyway because the militia is leaving in two weeks. And Lizzie is like, oh, good. Because that means Wickham will be leaving. This is interesting. She just wants to avoid Wickham. Avoid him at all costs. Yes, she does. Yeah. I think she's a little embarrassed. Yeah, I think so too. Behavior with him. Yeah. 
I think so too. Also, Lizzie has suddenly a non-confrontational streak. She's been very confrontational up until this point. Well, I think she's a little embarrassed of her confrontational nature in relation to Darcy. Hmm. Oh yeah, because she was so wrong about him. Exactly, and she was so happy. We were all so happy when she confronted him during Proposal Get-In. For sure. And... Then she felt so embarrassed afterwards because she was like, I confronted him on the wrong things. This is a skill set to learn. If you're going to confront someone, make sure you have all your chickens in a row. Chickens! Make sure you're Charlotte, you have all your poultry in a row (laughs) so that you know when you yell at them, you yell at them for only the righteous things. Yeah. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now, Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster, and together they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So Lydia then says that the those guys, the what are they actually called? Is the militia right? I think so. We can call them the redcoats because they're like literally just like the red British Imperial officers. All right. Like, the redcoats are going to Brighton for the summer, and she said that she and Mama want to go there in the summer. She's a stalker. Like a bit. I mean, the way I'm thinking about it more is that like she's hanging out with these boys, and she, they're like, "Oh, we're going to Brighton," and she's like, "Oh my god, it'd be fun if I came," and they'd be like, "Oh my god, it's so fun if you came." You're right. You're right. Yeah. So like, she's not like following them, but it is also. But the like, reason that Mrs. Bennett wants to go, like, does she think that Lydia's gonna find a husband in this group? Kind of. It's unclear. Mrs. Bennett is weird with Kitia on this front, particularly with Lydia, mm-hmm. because she's so keenly aware of how Lizzie and Jane need to marry comfortably. But Lydia is like a big old flirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. She totally is. And I think it's just a flaw in Mrs. Bennett that she doesn't see how bad Lydia's flirtation is in this society. Yeah, I think so, too. But I also think there is a way in which she really indulges Lydia as her favorite by not making her think think about social class as much in her mm. flirtation. Oh, you know, we've talked about the parents' favorite. We talked about this in, the like, the first episode. Mm-hmm. We were going to see whose favorites mm-hmm. and why. And Lizzie is Mr. Bennett's favorite. Obviously Mr. Bennett's favorite. I thought Jane was Mrs. Bennett's favorite, but... 
Lydia is. Nope, it's clearly Lydia. Granted, she loves Jane, and Jane is her, like... Jane is, like, the prized possession, but Jane fucked up. Yeah. Jane didn't get married. Yeah, Jane fucked up, and Jane, as we learned, is headed to spinsterhood, according to Lydia. Oh, my God. (laughs) Getting into this fucking, oh, my God, this chapter. So... Before we get to that, Lizzie replies like, oh, yeah, that would be nice. I think she's being sarcastic. And Lydia then goes, I have some gossip about a certain person that we all like, which is not true anymore, but she doesn't know that yet. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair assessment given how Lizzie felt when she left. Right. And so they tell the waiter that he should leave, but Lydia is like, haha, he's probably heard worse. But anyway, I'm glad he's gone because he's ugly. But anyway, she says, oh, my God. That was such a funny moment. She's like, I don't want anybody around me unless they're hot, which is such a mood, Lydia. Such a mood. (laughs) And then Lydia says that there is no danger of Wickham marrying Mary King because she moved away to Liverpool. Wickham is safe. And then Lizzie's reply is, and Mary King is safe from a connection imprudent as to fortune. Also so many other things, but Lizzie doesn't say those things. Yeah, because she's on Team Protect Georgie Darcy now. Right. And my notes said... Yes, bitch, in all caps. Yeah, this is also one of those moments of, like, you're over your ex, mm-hmm. and someone comes up to you, and they're like, they're single again, like, like and you're like, still yeah, stuff there. And you're like, yeah, good for that girl that avoided him. And you're like, uh, good for him. Yeah, like, exactly. whatever, I'm over it. But something else that I noticed in this moment is that Lizzie is, so at first I was like, these girls, meaning Kitty and Lydia, are, like, very much into looks over money mm-hmm. at this point, which is something that Jane and Lizzie have had to think more about. Mm-hmm. But all of them are aware of the societal constructs that are placed on them. Absolutely. It's very prevalent in society. It's the air they breathe. It's mm-hmm. cultural for us the way that, like, texting is. I exactly. Like, and I think that Lizzie, this is more prevalent for her now that she's, like, had all of these different interactions. But, like, with Wickham specifically, she used to be on team, like, he's hot, whatever. Yeah, because Wickham is so good looking that he gets away with everything. Mm-hmm. But now she's like, that would have been an imprudent marriage for Mary King. Do you remember her conversation yes, with Mrs. Gardner? Yes, I do. At the she... theater. When they were whispering about how it was going to be a mercenary marriage or whatever. And it was now looking back on how Wickham was with Mrs. King, it's grody as fuck. He's terrible. Yeah. We don't like him. Anti-Lickham. If you are listening to this podcast and you like Mr. Wickham, I'm going to have to ask you to sit down. Listen. Keep keep, keep downloading. I don't know if anybody has ever read Pride and Prejudice and been like, you know who I identify with? Wickham. Although, I will say, (laughs) I maintain my stance that Wickham in general is a construct that shows some of Jane Austen's classism, but that's a different story. Personally, he sucks. Wickham is a construct. Is the best sentence that's come out of this podcast so far. <laughs> anyway. Lickeeks. Okay. Yeah. So then Lydia says that she's a fool for going if she liked him anyway. Like, she should have stayed because he's hot. And Jane says she hopes there are no strong attachments on either side. And Classic Jane. Yeah. And Lydia says, I am sure there is not on his. I will answer for it. He never cared three straws about her. Who could about such a nasty little freckled thing? And my notes just said, OMG, Lydia! Oh my god, no filter. None. No filter. And then Lizzie has an interesting response to this privately in her head. That while she could never express her feelings so coarsely, the sentiment matches that which she has had before in her own breast. 
Well, we've heard it from Lizzie internally. Internally, but her she... entire inner monologue when it comes to Anne de Berg is like so sick. savage. She's like that skinny little thing will make Darcy miserable. Ha 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 ha! Like they're all bitches. Okay, I'll give it to Lizzie. You can't help thinking mean thoughts. Everyone has mean thoughts. Maybe you don't have mean thoughts, and I'm just a bad person. I have mean thoughts too, everyone. But it's about what you express to the outside world. And Lydia, right. you're not allowed to call people ugly. Yeah. It's rude. Yeah. But she does. Yes, she does. So then Lizzie and Jane pay, and they all leave, and Lydia starts giving a speech that just really encompasses the good God Lydia stance on these chapters, and I, I think I just want to read the whole thing. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> How nicely we are crammed in, cried Lydia. I am glad I bought my bonnet, if it is only for the fun of having another bandbox. Well, now let us be quite comfortable and snug and talk and laugh all the way home. And in the first place, let us hear what has happened to you all since you went away. Have you seen any pleasant men? Have you had any flirting? I was in great hopes that one of you would have got a husband before you came back. Jane will be quite an old maid soon, I declare. She is almost three and twenty. Lord! How ashamed I should be of not having been married before three and twenty. My Aunt Phillips wants you so to get husbands you can't think. She says Lizzie had better have taken Mr. Collins, but I do not think there would have been any fun in it. Lord! How I should like to be married before any of you, and then I would chaperone you to all the balls. Dear me! She is fifteen. She is fifteen. She might be 16 at this point. First of all, I think we finally have Jane's exact age. She's 22. 22, almost 23. Feeling 22, a la Taylor Swift. Oh my god. Feeling like a spinster. (gasps) Oh my god, we should should rewrite 22 by Taylor Swift, but to be about Jane. Oh my god. Oh my god, I'm gonna work on that and then we'll see where it comes. And if any of you want to do it, let's have a contest. First of all, uh, I do think that Jane is getting slightly, she's not old yet. But she's getting slightly towards being on the older side of the single women. But she's not 27. She's not 27, and Charlotte still bagged a man, so... It's she's not too late. If Charlotte also, can do it, we all can. Also, Jane is perfect and gorgeous, so, like, she's still gonna be fine. She's gonna be fine. This is mostly just Lydia being petty and competitive. I don't know what it is, but Lydia's perfect. I hate her. She's awesome. We're gonna talk a lot about Lydia in the study question, so I I have a whole conversation saved. So then she tells this story about how she and Kitty dressed up this man, Chamberlain, I guess. Oh my god, in drag. In drag, and brought him to a party, and surprised everyone and like nobody could tell that he was a man and that was kind of fun and weird uh, weird and then lizzie tries to tune out lydia for the rest of the trip but she can't help but hear the mention of wickham's name quite frequently they arrive home and mrs bennett is really glad to see jane as beautiful as ever and mr bennett says multiple times i am glad you are come back lizzie daddy we love daddy that was so sweet yeah he doesn't show affection much but when he does It's It's usually just to Lizzie. It's usually only to Lizzie, yeah. (laughs) All the Lucases come over to greet them, and Lady Lucas is asking Maria about Charlotte and the chickens. Mrs. Bennet asks for an account of all the fashions from Jane, and then turns around and relays those fashions to the young Lucases, which was such a Mrs. Bennet move. Hardcore on brand. Lydia is yelling to anyone who will listen about how lovely their morning in the carriage was, and she's talking to Mary about how she and Kitty treated everyone to lunch, and then Mary... What an icon and a legend for the introverts of the world. My favorite Bennett (laughs) sister. (laughs) My notes say, fucking nerd, I love her. She's so fucking nerdy. So Lydia is just going on about their carriage ride and how they had this hat and the charcuterie and everything. And Mary says, very gravely, 
Far be it from me, my dear sister, to depreciate such pleasures. They would doubtless be congenial with the generality of female minds, but I confess they would have no charms for me. I should infinitely prefer a book. First of all, Mary's a legend. We love her. Mary. We stan an introverted woman out of her time who just needs to cross-stitch in, like, a nightgown forever. But, also, Mary, you can be feminine and read a book. You That's can be feminine and read a book. the entire point of this podcast. But you can also be feminine and not be Kitty, because... That's true. Well, actually, Kitty... I don't think that Kitty's the problem here. Oh, yeah, no, Kitty is primarily Lydia with a little asterisk that says also Kitty. Yeah, that's why we get most of Lydia's name. And it's just the little K at the beginning. And also why we often forget about Kitty. And her name is Catherine, which I think is hilarious. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I missed them. Aw. I kind of missed them, too. I mean, the Bennets are just so chaotic compared to everybody else. They really are. And (laughs) what's funny about the end of this is that Lydia didn't hear a single thing that Mary said because she seldom listened to anybody for more than half a minute and never attended to Mary at all. Yeah. Lydia. Lydia. (laughs) Then, in the afternoon, Lydia wants everyone to go to Maryton, but Lizzie says no because, quote, it should not be said that the Miss Bennets could not be at home half a day before they were in pursuit of the officers. So she's really trying to fix their reputation here. Yeah, she is haunted by how accurate Darcy was in some of his critiques of her family. Mm -hmm. And she also doesn't want to go to see Wickham because... You know, all of the things, and she's... Suddenly this hoe is non-confrontational. Yep. She also, at the end of this chapter, notices that her mother has started bugging her father about going to Brighton for the summer, but Daddy Bennett doesn't really want to do that. Yeah, Lydia's like, oh, it's totally gonna happen, and then Lizzie (laughs) sees her dad, and she's like, oh, that's not happening. Yeah, he, he has no intention of yielding. Oh, no. So that brings us to the end of these three chapters, and on to... Becca's study questions. These chapters are, again, we're kind of back in transition mode a little. We're back home now from Huntsford, Mm -hmm. but the ends of each of these volumes do kind of take you from one part of the story to another. So we have some to talk about, but a lot of it's about shifting focus and general themes. The first one I have is that we have the final thoughts on Huntsford section of my study questions because we are leaving Rosings and the Collins, and I wanted to talk about the insights we've gained about the people, from the people, from the plot of the story, but also the themes of the book in general. You learn a lot about Catherine de Berg, who is this person we'd heard a lot about from Mr. Collins. Yes. And we'd had Collins as this comedic, solitary figure for the first part of the book. Mm-hmm. And now he's a married man. Mm-hmm. You meet Catherine de Berg, and you meet her daughter, and you see Charlotte in this marriage that is extremely different than the marriage that everybody else seems to be wanting and picturing in this time. Not everybody. I think had... Sorry, Lizzie. That Lizzie and and maybe the younger girls Mm -hmm. and, and Jane. So our protagonist in this book is Lizzie Bennet, and Lizzie Bennet is this sharp-minded, hopeless romantic, hopeless romantic, and she is this revolutionary want to be married for love in a time period where, spoiler alert, women needed to marry for money. What? (laughs) But you have a real insight and a look into Collins and his marriage to Charlotte and Charlotte's life here and the complicated positives and negatives of it. And I I think the last chapter with the Collinses in it in the section really captures that well. I think so too. I think that Charlotte and Collins are kind of the, you know, when you have an experiment, a science experiment, and you have the control group, Mm -hmm. and then you have the one that you're testing on. Mm -hmm. I think that they're kind of the control for this time period. They are the marriage that is financially stable, 
not wealthy or anything, but they're the marriage that made sense. They're not unhappy. They've got chickens. They've got good a garden. friends. A garden. They've good friends. I don't know why I said good friends. They think they have good friends in Lady Catherine de Bourgh. They have a higher up connection. Steady income with the job. So they're like the ideal, but we get to see why the ideal is not ideal for others. Yes, and you really see the drawbacks emotionally of this marriage particularly for Charlotte, because I think Collins is pretty fulfilled. Collins is so happy. It's really tragic. (laughs) It is. But the thing is that Charlotte's not unhappy. Charlotte is content. She's content, but the thing is, like, she's, you know, in a relationship where she's not getting good sex. Nope. She's not in love. She's not a chance of that. No. And those things are, like, perks in this time period. So mm, that's fine, I guess. Yeah, and you really see Lizzie living for the perks. Yeah, we want the perks. So that's my first question. And then just from the DeBergs, do you think you've taken any insight from Catherine or Anne that you did not have before? Anne, we remembered in this chapter, or I remembered and you already (laughs) already knew, that Anne is supposed to marry Darcy. And so now we know how incompatible that match would be. Mm. Catherine de Berg, I have a, a greatly deeper understanding of and still don't like her at all. I also want to point out because in the last episode that we released, which was episode nine, I went on a tirade about how Catherine de Berg could be played by Gwyneth Paltrow or Judy Dench, and, and I got them confused because I was thinking about Gwyneth Paltrow. I was thinking about Judy Dench, and I said Gwyneth Paltrow, but really who I was thinking was a halfway point between the two, and that would be Tilda Swinton. And I pointed out that that's absolutely not a halfway point. It's absolutely a halfway point. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. No, Tilda Swinton is her own breed of human being. I think we can all acknowledge that she doesn't look anything like Gwyneth Paltrow. She doesn't look anything like Judy Dench. She looks like Tilda Swinton. But she would be a perfect Lady Catherine de Burr. Maybe. I kind of love Judy Dench as the Catherine de Bourgh. But, but the Ice Queen. The White Witch. The White Witch. <laughs> yes, she's great at evil, but she's also like an extraterrestrial being. She is like so weird. That's why she works so well in fantasy. What about Catherine de Bourgh is not weird? I just need to see it. I mean, I'm not going to clock you any harder on this, but I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> to... Maybe because I'm just thinking about, like, I haven't seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in so long, and I don't... She has, like, white dreads. It's wild. Yeah, I know, it's weird. But I feel like physically that's what I was picturing, is the White Witch as Lady Catherine de Bourgh, so... Okay. Yep. Anyway, moving on to the next question. (laughs) So uh, we talked about this briefly, but I want to dig back into it. We had Lizzie as the unreliable narrator for the first half of the book, and last chapters learned that Lizzie realized she'd been an unreliable narrator, Mm -hmm. and now we've shifted a little. And I wanted to talk about how that affects the way the story's written and how it affects the way it's playing out and will play out later. It really has been like a cloud has been lifted, especially when looking at her own family. Immediately with Kitty and Lydia, like we were talking about, it was like they were annoying and all of these things that before we didn't even get to delve that deep into them. Or maybe it's just how Jane Austen wrote it, but, like, I had that cloud over my brain, too. So, like, I know that Lydia got up and talked directly to Bingley about throwing a ball, and it was very rash and well-received by him, but, like, everyone else was like, Lydia, sit down. But in my mind, that wasn't so bad. But, like, thinking back on it... Yeah, like, even when Mr. Collins was reading aloud and she was like, I'm bored of this! Yeah, and we, like, thought, ah, that was funny, but... 
actually, it was rude as shit. Yeah. So all of those things, and then obviously with Wickham, like, he's hardly even crossing the story at this point. Like, he's not even on our minds, because Lizzie wants to avoid him, so we want to avoid him. But... I definitely am starting to like look back and not trust things as much that Lizzie said. Yes, that is the interesting thing about how clever Jane Austen is in writing this novel. Yeah, I also don't feel bad about liking Darcy anymore. Yes, thank God. Yeah. Yes, so. he's he's one of the most beloved male characters in literature. So uh, you touched on this as well. We're getting to know Kitty and Mary better now. Do you have any new insights that you haven't already talked about on this pod? Not really other than the fact that Kitty, uh, sorry, that uh, Kitty doesn't really have a personality. None at all. She's just such a follower. We don't know her at all. So Kitty really is Lydia. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this. This was almost a spoiler. But remember when I said you could probably replace Kitty with a cat? With a kitty? I don't remember that. It was like in an earlier episode. You were like, oh, could we? And I was like, oh, no, you'll see. (laughs) Yeah, you could. Yeah. (laughs) The next one I have is Darcy's evaluation of the family. I still think some of it is... He's not spot on with his evaluation of the Bennett family. No. So I wanted to talk about where he was right and where he was wrong. Did he say anything bad about Daddy Bennett? He said occasionally he shows impropriety as well. I don't think that's true. I think that... <laughs> we stand. Daddy Bennett can do no wrong. Um, he was right about the sisters and the flirting. He was wrong about Jane being standoffish or whatever he thought mm-hmm. she was. He's less right about the sisters than he is about Mrs. Bennet. I think his evaluation of Mrs. Bennet is pretty spot on. Oh, yeah. The sisters, at least, are, like, sweet people. They're not bad people. They're just annoying and young. And he thinks that Lizzie and Jane can do no wrong, but Lizzie can do wrong. Well, I think he's pretty aware that Lizzie has faults. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's... Given how he proposed to her. (laughs) But I think you're totally correct in that. I also would point out that he does lump Mary in there, and I feel like... Oh, I forgot about her again. Your favorite Bennett sister? (laughs) My favorite Bennett sister. I forgot about her. (laughs) All right, this is my favorite question, and I want to talk about this for a bit. I said, flirting in the Austin Times. Lydia, feminist icon or annoying twat? Ah! Oh my god! Because Lydia is annoying. There's absolutely no question about that. But she's kind of awesome. Yeah. I think this is a hot take, but I think that Lydia gets a bad rap for being a teenage girl who is into boys and has no filter and is kind of sure of herself and bold. And obviously that translates to self-obsession and narcissism at certain points in time, but That does for a lot of teenage girls. Yeah, I mean, what I said earlier still stands. I said, I hate her. She's amazing. Yeah. Like, she is that bitch, 100%. I know, and I feel like if Lydia were alive today, she'd be trying to be an Instagram influencer. For sure. Which is... And she would be. She wouldn't fail. Like, she's hot. Yes! Lydia's hot. Yes. So, I mean, it would be a little annoying, but, like, also she understands her own self-worth and isn't bound like her sisters to certain societal expectations. Yes. Bringing it back to my first ever Fiddler on the Roof analogy. I've honestly never seen Fiddler on the Roof. Which That's I think, a bad Jew. <laughs> I'm a Jewish musical theater nerd, and yeah, I know I failed. So in Fiddler on the Roof, the first sister gets married to her best friend whom she is in love with and... He's a tailor, so it's not a financially stable Mm -hmm. relationship, but the father gives his permission, and it's like, fine, marry for love, whatever. The second sister marries a teacher, and he's, like, kind of a radical, so he's, like, political, and he's like, let's, Mm -hmm. you know, do the thing. And that's, like, for the father, but he lets her do it anyway, 
And the third sister doesn't conform to any of her family's societal norms. And she's not a badass like Lydia in that she's, like, out here being boy-obsessed and all that, but she falls in love with a Christian, and this is very bad, and her father says, you can choose him or you can get out of my house. And Shicks a man. She gets out <laughs> of his house, and he disowns her, and now I've given you the summary of Fiddler on the Roof, and I realize, like, that's not how Lydia is, but she's the youngest one, and she's the one who's, like, going to break all the rules. So, In some ways, Jane is a quintessential eldest child. In some ways, Lydia is the obvious, like, baby of the family. Yes. And in some ways, Mary is just middle child to end all middle children. Oh, Mary is... <laughs> Mary stands... M stands for middle. Oh, dark. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's all correct, and I'm not going to comment on how that plays out, but I do think that Lydia does just allow herself to be herself and herself is annoying mm -hmm. but herself is also you know herself is a little bit more bold and less corseted than other women in this time period yes. so this is my baby defense of lydia bennett I, in her one of her more annoying moments yeah i i would agree with all of that and say that like as much as lydia's annoying i think that she is awesome and she has won a chapter before and she may just win a chapter again. The one thing we don't stand is her calling Jane a spinster. And no, we like, don't. Like I want to be the first one. We do not like that. That was a moment where I was like, Lydia, what the fuck? Yeah. But then there are also moments where I'm like, LOL, Lydia. Yeah. So both are true. All right. So then. Duality of man. Duality of man. Lydia, the flawed character, yes. actually fleshed out better than some of her other sisters. Yes. So then I said, there's a ticking clock on the Bennett sisters. And this goes back to Lydia's gross comment about Jane's age. And I think it's the first time you're drawn attention to the fact that, like, there's only a finite amount of time to find a husband. Mm -hmm. And again, all their money depends on it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you had any thoughts about that. Well, time is moving kind of fast in this book. As you said, Lydia might be 16 by now. What will become of them? Are we going to have to see them married off in the course of this book? Oh, my God. Yeah, I... Hmm. Again, I'm kind of thinking about the fact that I remember when the first proposal happened and you said this is the first proposal from a book that starts with the line about marriage. Is, let's say it again. It is the truth, truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. That is also a very good vocal warm-up. It is. It is the truth universally acknowledged that a single man in, in possession, possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Anyway, yeah. And I was surprised when you said the first proposal, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a book about getting married and, like, finding husbands. It's a rom-com. Right. <laughs> but we forget that the journey is the most important part. Yep. So I wonder if they're going to actually have to start settling down with people because of the ticking clock. I'm not going to confirm or deny that. Okay. That brings us to our standby questions. So for the funniest quote, I had a few options and I really enjoyed the line about, you know, Lady Catherine answering all her own questions. And I really enjoyed the line where Lizzie was not sorry that Charlotte appeared to cut off Mr. Collins. But I think the best one is the one I already read from Mary talking about wanting to read a book. I will accept that because it is a mood yeah. from two big literature fans. Big nerds. Big big old nerds. Sometimes it's more fun to read a book than flirt with a man. Yes. It's a toss-up, but sometimes. <laughs> or women. Yes, and I would always rather read a book. Than flirt with anybody? Yes. That's fair. Yeah. That's very fair. Talk to me about books and I'll date you. That is an open invitation. <laughs> <laughs> Single. <laughs> All right, so questions moving forward in the book? Well, we're back at... Longborn, 
just occurred to me that Bingley never actually gave up Netherfield. They said they weren't going to be there for the winter, and they probably were never coming back, but it was never decided that they wouldn't, so I wonder if we'll see them in Netherfield again. Um, I wonder if we'll see Wickham before he leaves. I wonder if we'll go to Brighton, and I also am remembering Lizzie's hiking trip that she was going to take. With the mountain man. Yes. Yes. So maybe that'll happen too. Great questions. Who wins the chapter? I honestly, I got, I, even though Lydia's annoying as shit, like, she was the best part of these chapters. She gave us the most to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, say what you want about her. The woman dominates a conversation. She sure does. So, Lydia Bennett, you get the win this chapter. We are appreciative of you. So that concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice. Before we go, we want to just boost that we just launched our website. We did. And by the time this episode comes out it'll have been a few weeks but you know in advance check us out at potandprejudice.com and you can also check us out at patreon.com slash potandprejudice if you want to get in on some of these fun burpee outtakes etc and you can also hear a little bit more about jane austen's relationship with her dad which is kind of cool yeah um that's a seven dollar tier perk and we hope that you will take advantage of it but until then stay proper find a husband Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.